until they're really lighting it up. Uh, what do you call a fish wearing a bow tie? A fish wearing a bow tie. Hmm. So fish decayed. <laughs> what do you call a body with no nose? No nose. No nose. No nose. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, how do you get a squirrel to like you? This is Mike. Act like a knight. Where do you leave a? Uh, where do you learn to make a banana split? Gymnastics? Sunday school. Sunday school. Sunday school. Sunday school. Banana split? Sunday school. That's right. Sunday school. Just like a Sunday school. I'm like, Sunday. Oh. Ice cream. It's called an ice cream Sunday. Okay, makes sense. I was like, Sunday's banana split. Can I? Okay, school. Since we're laughing, I had a quick little vision in there again. Oh. It was all these spots. What's that? It was, I'm sending my grace pots. Grace pies? Pox. Pox. Oh, grace pox. Grace pox. I want grace pox. Yeah. I mean, I'll go with I'll go for that. Grace pox. That's awesome. Bring on the grace pox. All right, I have more good news other than Grace Pops. We have two more after today, and we are done okay. with Kings. Congratulations for the marathon. Endures, endures until the end. Yes. <laughs> well, we saved every league. Yes, thirty-six weeks. We you have. Overcome, we will have been at we this. We overcame Kings by the blood of the Lamb. You will be, you will be saved <laughs> But you know what? It, it really has opened my eyes to the condition of our country and um, the need for prayer. And uh, so, uh, but also God's mercy, and we're going to see another example of it today. Uh, we've got Hezekiah, which, you know, when we look at Hezekiah's response last week where he didn't care, you know, about the nation or his kids being taken as prisoners or anything, he's like, well, as long as it doesn't happen in my day. That's not a true father. And we'll see the fatherlessness, the orphan spirit in his son, Manasseh. Because the root of evil is unbelief. And that unbelief is a lack of trust in a father-type figure. And, um, and so we've got here in uh, 21, we're going to start off with verses 1 through 9 to get the context. Uh, Manasseh was 12, <coughs> excuse me, 12 years old when he began to reign. So that means that his dad died when he was a kid. And then how much time did Hezekiah spend with him before he died? Uh, I don't know, but his attitude makes me wonder if he spent much time with him at all. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah, do you know why they keep giving the mother's names? I don't get it. I, I don't know if there's something prophetic in there. Or they didn't want. They didn't want the genealogy. Second Kings to go on for five more chapters. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, um, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. 
For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. So, I mean, get this. It would be like us having pagan altars in here. Okay, that's what he did. He put pagan altars in the temple and in Jerusalem. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and uh, omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to go wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So he, he did more than those nations. I don't know if this is working. I feel like I'm having to yell. Okay, so the biblical authors equate Manasseh as the number one reason for the judgment that came upon Judah, okay? And it's easy to see why. I mean, uh, we'll get into his wickedness in a little bit, but first, he uh, most likely, and so either Hezekiah died when Manasseh began to reign or he was a co-regent. So I'm not sure which one. I'm not sure why he would begin to reign at the age of 12, uh, but uh, I'm... They, some say that it was with Hezekiah. I don't know. But in spite of Hezekiah's faith in the Lord and all that he did, Manasseh went way to the other side, um, which it's been my experience, and I would say probably Roberta could verify and Mike that when we help with youth, the number one reason kids uh, rebelled is hypocrisy in the home. And uh, so, you know, I'm not, I don't want to like, blame Hezekiah, but it wouldn't be surprising. Now, his mother's name means my delight is in here, and it was a nickname for Zion, according to Isaiah 62.4. Uh, I don't know why he was so wicked, except maybe the fatherlessness. Um, but he rebuilt all the places of worship. He erected all those altars. Altars. Asherah was a Canaanite fertility goddess believed to be a consort of Baal, which is why they're often linked together. And he then put them in the temple of God. Uh, when it says that he worshipped all the hosts of heaven, that's the sun, the moon, the stars, he built altars to sacrifice. Because, you know, an altar is where you sacrifice to other gods in the house of the Lord. Uh, his own son, which is abortion, right, to the god Molech. The fortune-telling is witchcraft and uh, magic. And then the omens means to practice divination to seek knowledge. Mediums conjure up the dead by means of magic, and necromancers work with familiar spirits. Uh, they're a, 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 like a wizard who hear the dead, according to some of the definitions uh, of these words in the Bible. Um, 
Now it says that he began reigning alone after Hezekiah's death at the age of 23. I wonder if that's when Hezekiah was sick, maybe. And that's why he began to co-rule. Hmm. Well, that'd be... Uh, act, well, no, it would Because he lived 15 years after. Yeah, no. It's just an interesting thing. Uh, now, he was the longest reign of any king. He did restore stability and also prosperity back to Judah and Jerusalem after the Assyrians took so much land and tribute during Hezekiah's reign. Now, see, that's important, and it kind of goes with the word today that, you know, a lot of people, their idea behind, um, you know, marijuana dispensaries and stuff in states are the tax dollars. You know, you get tax dollars. It prospers states. Um, you know, abortion. I mean, you know, same thing. You get tax money. Um, it, it all... What... what you cannot take prosperity as a sign that God approves, right? So that's the thing. If your prosperity is not sourced in righteousness, then all you've done is either come up with a product or service that people want that may not be good for them or good for your city or your state, uh, or you're just following laws because there are laws of wealth. So you can even look at like... Um, Gates, who I think has a mental illness, quite frankly, because I think he, he is beginning to think that he's God. Uh, same with George Soros. All of them have money. They're also huge givers, believe it or not. And uh, so they instituted a law. Well, when you have someone that's ruling like Manasseh, where he's brought stability and prosperity, okay, along with all the demonic, the people will put up with it. See, that's the thing. It's like, how did they uh, um, convince people to get a jab of an experimental medicine uh, that's not even a medicine, it's not even a vaccine? Fear of death. Fear of loss. Fear of loss is one of the most primal uh, fears there are. And so when you promise people uh, peace and stability and prosperity, they will trade what they know is right for what is wrong as a guarantee. They'll drink the Kool-Aid. And uh, so it's the same thing with guns. You know, when you say, well, we have to get rid of guns because kids are getting shot. Uh, like that post I had, a prison shank. People will find a way to kill, you know. So that's what governments do, is they uh, promise stability, they promise prosperity, they promise peace. And, and Christians keep buying it. Uh, it's fascinating. Like, they had uh, Pierce Morgan on TV today, and he's the Brit, you know, that came over to America. And he's against us having the Second Amendment. And so when we were watching him this morning, you know, he's still against the Second uh, Amendment, even though he is a, uh, I think he's a citizen now, or he's trying to get where he's a, a citizen. Uh, and I'm like, well, sir... <laughs> The reason we have the Second Amendment is because of your government. The 1100, uh, 1100 charters, right? The Magna Carta, all that stuff we learned in New Mexico, or in uh, Truth or Consequences, there were five documents that the Brits created because of rulers who kept taking their rights. 
And our founding fathers wrote our Constitution based on those documents, and that's why we have the Second Amendment, to protect ourselves against a tyrannical government. So all of the things that God has put in place are being pushed and being tested because people would rather have life than death, and they're telling them you're going to die if you don't take this medicine, or you're going to die if we don't take away those guns, or whatever it is, okay? So that's where you have to get heaven's perspective. So to me, the people put up with this. I mean, how can you go from Hezekiah, who was a righteous ruler and removed all this stuff, to Manasseh, who sacrificed his own son? How can the people put up with that? They're asleep, and they're lulled to sleep by prosperity and the ease of life that this ruler was able to give them. I think Christians need to ask themselves, was this was the Constitution a God-given document to these men? It was. Mm -hmm. Do we need to be changing it? Right. I mean, did God make a mistake? No. Well, right. unfortunately, I mean, they need to ask themselves that. Well, unfortunately, there's a doctrine that's around that no, it wasn't a God-given document. That Masons and all this other crap. So people don't believe that our nation was founded by God. They believe it was founded by Masons which I'm about to do a podcast on that, by the way. And so a lot of Christians don't, and that's why they don't vote. That's why they don't believe that we can do anything because this nation was not founded upon God and His principles. So I'm telling you that it was. And I've gone back to the sources. I've gone back to all the documentation, and I'm about to bring that to light. So yes, Kathy, the Constitution was given by God. The Declaration of Independence. I don't think people even, though... Think out like th that out. Right. Oh yeah, we can just change it. We can just no. You know, but that's just like saying uh, some of the truths in the Bible. Oh, let's just change it. Mm -hmm. No, God set that out. Well, oh. they're they're trying to you twist know. the Bible to their exactly. narrative. Yes, anyway. they are. Well, I mean, you have where uh, Christians think like we're in Pride Month. Pride comes before a fall, and so in Jesus' name, I pray that occurs. Um, but. They, they support LGBTQ Christians. So is God a liar? Because if you support that, you're calling them a liar. This is unchanging because the word, the written word represents the person. And it says he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He does not change his mind. He's not a man that he should lie. This is not a cultural document. This is an everlasting document. Same thing with our Constitution and Declaration of Independence. But it's this very thing, this trade-off for peace and safety. Uh, in Second, is it First or Second Thessalonians that talks about peace and safety? Um, yeah. Um, here it is. Okay, so let's look at First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen, and then we'll get on into five. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but there's just really, you can tell there's an anointing um, on this topic. First uh, uh, Thessalonians 4, we're going to start at 13, and then I'm not sure where we'll stop. But it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, 
who are left until the coming parousia is the Greek word there of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep now the word uh, parousia the reason it's important is it is the coming of a king who intends to stay and so when you couple that with the catching away the catching away occurs at the second coming not before there's not two and so that's why that's so important and that's why I'm not a pre-trib rapture doctrine person because of that word parousia so then it says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and the voice of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we're joining Him to basically kick butt and take names. You know what I'm right. saying? Like that's what, you know, it's kind of like a hold my beer moment. We're going to take everybody that has been enemies with the Lord, we're going to help Him uh, basically kill them to where the blood reaches the bridle of His horse. Because the age of grace is over at this point. It's done. There is no more grace. So those that have made themselves enemies of God have had plenty of opportunity to repent. Therefore, they're going to be killed. So this would be a massive... Oh yeah, in the sky. We'll we'll fill it. Well, we're going to be coming... Yeah, we're going to meet Him in the heaven and then come right back down. Massive, massive, massive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the battle's going to be on the earth. On the earth itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then uh, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need to embrace the end of the age doctrine. We need to read the book of Revelation. We need to read Daniel. We need to read these things. There's a special blessing that comes on those that read the book of Revelation. And I know for a fact it's true because I've studied it in depth and I've got more plans because, you know, like me and Mike were talking last night, you know, again, just seeing our country be destroyed by people that hate it is one of the most powerless feelings ever. And so powerlessness can trigger anger. And the other day I was praying, I was like, Lord, I need perspective. I need to know what this looks like. I mean, y'all know, I've told y'all how much uh, anger I've had at what is happening. And the Lord's like, you need to read the end of the age. You need to read Revelation again. You've got to get back in there because this is exactly what's happening. And you got to toughen up, you know. And so our assignment is to make sure America is a sheep nation. That's our assignment. And But you cannot hate the persecutors. That's where love grows cold, right? And uh, so anyway, we've got to gather encouragement from the end of the age teaching instead of being afraid of it. Because if you're afraid of the end of the age, then your focus is not on, it's the coming of the Lord. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, not the enemy. It's if you're the afraid untapping. of it, you might want to ask if you're saved or not. Right? If you read Daniel's Oh, absolutely. There's, well, there's no from the time that Israel was made a nation, a stopwatch started. Mm-hmm. There was a countdown. There's absolute harmony between Revelation. Mm-hmm. People are going, I can't read it. Oh, no, it, it's easy to read. And you go to Ezekiel and the other places in Daniel and read these things, they're in absolute harmony. Yep. 
I mean, I could tell you exactly where the second coming and the rapture is. It's at Revelation chapter 14. Not everything is in order. Some parts are in order, some aren't. Dorina? Uh, what's the word Corinthian for? Uh, it's P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, and it is the coming of a king to stay. What's it, what word is it for? Coming. <laughs> anyway uh, but it, it is it's important to read this stuff because it says encourage one another with these words okay uh, chapter 5 verse 1 now concerning the times and the seasons brothers you have no need to have anything written to you and I, I'm like Paul yes we do I wish you would. whatever you taught them I wish we had a written record of all of it for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. See, this is the exact opposite. There's going to be a semblance of peace and security, not chaos, right? The purpose of the chaos is to bring order or the new world order, okay? That's the purpose of the chaos. Once the new world order arrives where there's peace and security, we are in trouble. Right. The dark, so is Israel. Well, not us, but... Then it says the darkness will come soon. It says, Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk or high are drunk or high at night. This is also a call to the watch. Absolutely. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the helmet for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live uh, with Him. Therefore, again, encourage one, uh, uh, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that ends in verse 11. Now, the wrath thing. A lot of people... And I didn't expect to go on end of the age doctrine, but a lot of people, thanks, G, for your prayer. Now you're going to be like 37 weeks. But anyway. um, Okay, extension. The thing is, is that wrath is not the tribulation. The tribulation is not the wrath of God. The bowls are the wrath of God. If you read in Revelation, you will see a definite shift at that point. The bowls. The bowls. And it's right after uh, 14 where we're caught up that the bowls are released. And there's like a 30 to 70 day time period there that they don't know what's going on. So I don't know if that's us helping kill all his enemies or what, but we know there's a, a, a time frame there that no one's sure what's happening after he returns. It's very interesting. But the main thing is, we're not appointed to the wrath. So us being resurrected means we are immune to the bowls. Okay? So, uh, and, and I, man, I did teaching on that a long time ago. I'll see if I can find it and get it on the website. But 
all that to say, don't exchange what you know is right for peace and security. You know, be willing to take a stand and be persecuted. Another thing that's come into my mind before we continue is I told Mike last night, I said one thought that keeps coming to my mind is what if we need all of what's happening right now to save this nation? You've got Democrats, long-term Democrats, that are like, this is not the Democrat Party of the 60s. Well, let me, let me enlighten you a little bit. The Democrat Party has always been jacked. If you go all the way back, they've been anti-religion, they were against ending slavery, they voted 100% no, okay? The, the whole formation of the Republican Party, which I'm also mad at, was they were anti-slavery. That's why they even formed. And uh, it's history, not revisionist history, it's real history. So, uh, you know, we've got a situation where even lifelong Democrats are like, something is wrong. Yes, yes there is. Global elitists have bought and paid for what is happening right now. So, eyes are opening and hearts are awakening. Will there be Christians to step in and fill the gap? Or are we going to make the same mistake, go back to comfort and everything being normal, and then we lose this nation? Okay? I don't think it's going to get normal. Well, I don't think it's going to be normal until he returns. It's going to be a fight until uh, his second coming. But remember, Scripture says these things must first come to pass. All I'm concerned with is that America is a sheep nation. That's all I care about. And the only way that America is insured as a seat, a seat, a seat nation <laughs> is how she treats believers in Israel. That's it. And so, and not every nation is going to fall for the Antichrist, or there wouldn't be any sheep nation at the end. Just so you guys know, there will be people that will fight that government, right? And people that aren't even saved are going to rebel against him. So not everyone who's not saved is going to follow the Antichrist either. You wouldn't have anybody after alive. But uh, so Manasseh, even though he was wicked, the people accepted him because of the good things that he did to hide the evil. So the newly conquered lands that were given uh, to the kings of Ashdod, Ekron, and uh, Gaza, uh, Manasseh, he basically had possession uh, he began his reign under heavy Assyrian dominance, and he was a royal vassal for the first uh, few decades of his rule, which he only ruled for a few decades, so I'm assuming maybe 20, 30 years. Some scholars believe that he might have erected an altar to Baal and then made the Asherah pole as a result of an alliance with Tyre. This is the same thing Ahab did, and so it appears that he followed Canaanite religions versus the Assyrian system of belief because they didn't force you to. The Assyrians did not force you to become like them. They let you, remember? They, they let them continue to worship their God when they moved into Israel and then they had people go in and teach them the ways of God because they kept having disaster after disaster happen. So the Assyrians actually had freedom of religion. So what that tells us is Manasseh did all of this by choice. Okay? Now, in uh, verse 10, it says, The Lord said to his servants, the prophets, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done more evil 
than all that the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Je uh, Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, look, pay attention. I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt. Sorry, you Even to this day. Wow. From the moment they came out of Egypt, they have done nothing but rebel against him. And it just culminated. Do you know that from the foundation of this country, there were global elitists? From the very start. It's globalism. It's in the Federalist Papers. Well, that's the France and uh -huh. all them from the, the Europe. Globalism. In Europe, they've had $5 plus gas for a long, long time. It's an early mission statement. Okay, so it's the same thing here. From the very beginning, these people set their heart against God, with the exception of a few that would come on the scene and turn the hearts of the people. Uh, but from the moment, like you saw it with the judges, the minute a righteous judge died, what did they do? They went and worshipped all the other gods. And so it's, it's amazing how humans keep repeating history, and then they're staying around trying to figure out why everything goes wrong. You know, I mean, it's just, anyway, it, it's amazing. So, it's scary. I'm going to stretch the plumb line. In other words, the same measurement he used to determine and decide of his verdict against Samaria and Israel, he's now stretching it over uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And uh, they're going to have an even worse judgment because they had more of him than Samaria did. So the, the Lord gave them that land. He anointed them for the very purpose of driving out all of the ites. And then they end up worse than the very nations they took out. Now, the reason it's worse is a couple things. Number one, the level of idolatry that they introduced. It wasn't just one God. They had a whole bunch. But number two, they had the one true God. To whom much is given, much is required. For God to give himself to you right and then you say nah I don't want you I'm gonna go after all these other things that right there is a slap in his face absolutely yeah yeah but I mean we do it the same thing like we've been reading in James where worldliness embracing philosophies and culture and practices and the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God one thing to remember about the wisdom of God, it is always pure. Always. And any Christian that tries to tell me that uh, doing drugs and homosexuality and lesbianism and all these other things uh, are pure, I, I will beg to differ. And I can show you in the Word faster than you can show me in the Word. You might try to give me vain philosophy, but there's only one truth, and He's a person. 
So the wisdom of God is always, always pure. That's the plumb line, right? And so we've got the same thing that's happening in our own people today. There's a spiritual principle here. You must sustain and build upon the ground you've taken or your state will be worse than at first. Like uh, Peter. Um, was it Peter? Yeah, it was Peter. And... Um, Let me see if I can find it for you guys. Um, oh, here we go. Okay, so this is Second uh, Peter 2. He's talking about false prophets and teachers, which there are a lot of them. And then it says um, in verse 17... These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after... They have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. So he's referring to Christians, more than likely spirit-filled Christians. Then it says, it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, uh, returns to wallow in the mire. So this is what the spiritual principle, I mean, that sums it up right there. You have to always be vigilant. Uh, when the Lord went to pray the night that he was betrayed, do you think he felt goosebumps and warm, fuzzy feelings? Yes. It wasn't one of those prayer times where it just feels good. It was so deep and negative. His capillaries burst. And so not only that, by himself, his three trusted friends would not even say awake. Why? Because they were depressed. Can you imagine the darkness? Because the enemy was just waiting. Everything he planned was coming to pass. And he was just waiting. The perspective of the disciples is that we're losing Jesus. Jesus' perspective was, I'm gaining the world. Right? Three times he went back. He went and back. what did he say? Watch and pray Watch. so that you don't enter into temptation. So our job is you always have to be watchful. You always have to be prayerful and get the perspective because the enemy had a hook in his nose. God picked a fight with him uh, at the base of the, the three different gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi, and he drew a line in the sand, and he said, I'm coming after you. Yeah, that moment when you said the gates of hell will not... Uh, mm -hmm. I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after everything you stand for. So the enemy is like, oh, really? So then he puts what? A betrayer in his camp, which the Lord was aware. He put a betrayer in his camp over what? The money. 
because it's always about the money, right? We learn that from the enemy. And so then the Lord, though, is still faced with the fact that he's have to undergo tremendous pain. Not only that, experience separation from his Father for us. And he did it. The battle was won there. The cross was just the etc. Okay? So that we have to guard what at ground we've taken. So it's sad to see how far they fell. Now in um I have a question. Oh yeah. What about backslid people? Because I, I have read this before and the enemy always tells me, Well that's you. Well, first of all, the fact that you recognize it's the enemy telling you it's you should tell you that it's not you, right? <laughs> uh, we don't have to believe him when we hear him. But backslidden is totally different from apostate. You know, because apostate, they have turned from the Lord. They're not going to serve him anymore. And they're back into the world system 100%. A backslider, their heart bothers them. You know, they, they, want, they want the Lord. And for whatever reason, they may feel helpless to get out of whatever it is they're in. And so this is a totally different thing where, um, well, it's summed up in uh, Matthew 7. You know, I'm just not going to let Gigi pray anymore. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We're going to get through this, I can guarantee it. On the backslider, God is always still with that backslider saying, don't forget about me. Right. Right. Around right. And come back to me. Okay, so in Matthew uh, 7 21, um, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who dis does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then he'll declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now that last uh, sentence, I never knew you, that word know is not gnosko, it's epigonosko, which means to know by experience. So they never experienced him. These people never went into deep encounter with God and to learn his ways. They, they liked the gifts. They liked operating in the power. But they didn't go into relationship. Because all the gifts and all the outward works of God fed that need for significance in them. And they were workers or practitioners of sin. And other, now that's different from someone that's in a backslidden state or who has sinned. A practitioner is they like it, they enjoy it, they schedule all of their time around their sin. You know what I mean? Practice it. Right. And then every opportunity God gave them to repent, nah. So repentance is key. If you repent, you're good. If you had not repented, you would not be here. The old saying, turn or burn. Turn or burn. <laughs> okay, so now it's a, this is, but here's the deal. We cannot judge where a person is at on this journey because it's fascinating how God responds to Manasseh. It like, I would be like, kill this dude. Get rid of him. Do something. You know, before he just ruins the nation, which he did. He ruined it. Even though he repented, the nation was ruined because of his acts. So it's really sad. But where it says, 
I will wipe Israel as one wipes a dish and cause uh, the ears of everyone who hears of it to tingle. This reveals how unhappy God is about the situation. And guys, it takes a lot to make him that mad. So in verse 16, moreover, so in addition to, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till it, uh, he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sin that he made uh, Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of uh, the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did in the sin that he committed are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his place. Okay, so the shedding of innocent blood is referring to the prophets he killed. Okay? Because they were prophesying against his practices in the coming judgment. They were saying the exact opposite of what the Lord was saying. So Josephus records that not only did he kill the prophets, but he also murdered all the righteous men of Judah daily. So he was killing prophets and righteous men daily. That is unbelievable. Like Jesus says, unbelievable. And I, again, I just don't get it. Why is he the worst? I mean, what happened? What heart condition? to become a genocidal maniac. Now, let's look behind the scenes. The BTS in 2 Chronicles 33. Oh, by the way, the book of the history of the kings of Judah yeah. is a separate book. They think it's lost because there's okay. one of Judah and and also of Israel. Okay. It, it is not Chronicles. Okay. I was wondering, oh, I did you always say that? <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy, for solving that mystery. Okay, so we're going to read verses 10 and 11 in 2 Chronicles 33. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze, and brought him uh, to Babylon. Now, is that the hook in the nose? Didn't they do that, G? The Assyrians? I know there's several places they talk about putting the hook in the nose. Mm -hmm. um, I know they did one king. I'm not sure if it was Manasseh. It might be the next one. Now, they, some scholars will argue over whether he was actually deported because it's only mentioned here and Assyrian writings don't mention this, which would have been a big triumph, but I'm going to believe the Bible over Assyrian writings, you know? Um, but, and besides, the records might have been destroyed, but we know that Manasseh is mentioned in Assyrian writings, just not his captivity. The reason he was taken captive isn't clear as far as the Assyrians are concerned, but the author tells us why in verses 12 through 17. It says, and when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, I'm going to tell you right here, that is painful for me to read. Oh, now you want to talk to God? Oh, now that you've had a hook in your nose and you're a prisoner? I'd be like, no, uh-uh. No, you can stay right where you're at. 
Which is why we're not God. And when uh, he prayed to him, God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I know. I just, man, he's so merciful. Verse 14, afterward he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gion in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. That's amazing. That's repentance. We will see Manasseh in heaven. It's kind of weird, though. They still go to the high places, but they sacrifice to the Lord, mm -hmm. not their God. They're doing it in the high place to the Lord God, mm -hmm. which is kind of contrary to even... Well, yeah, why, why that, go to the high place to do this? Why right. Why go into the temple? That's been a problem the whole time. But this, to me, is one of the most extravagant stories of mercy other than what the Lord did for us. Because he ruined a nation, and he turns to the Lord, and the Lord had mercy on him. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's fascinating. One of the most wicked kings. And not only did he forgive him, he put him back in rule. Well, and I think we need, we've got to understand that when he brought down... Manasseh and he brought down Israel. That was a that was not because he's mean. Right. That was that was a sign of his goodness and his love. Mm -hmm. And we have a terrible time looking at an action that we don't that we perceive, I'll put it that way, yes. as mean. Yeah. And saying, Oh God's mean. Yep. But you look right here. You know, yeah. by doing this, by allowing them to be overtaken by the enemy yep. and go into captivity. It saved them from it hell. It saved them from hell. Yeah. It was a, an extreme act of love. Yep. And you'll that what you're saying sums up a teaching on the goodness of the Lord That's we'll right. be getting yeah. into. That's right. Yeah. And I think Revelation is the same thing. You know, oh God, you know, save us from this and that and the other. But we need to look at it is that God is going to allow these terrible things to come down because that some men will be saved just like Manasseh right here. When right. he is back to the corner, doesn't have anywhere else to go, yep. he realizes and he cries out and God lifts him. Which shows his heart on right. how he views us. Right. He will move heaven and earth literally yes. to save us. Right. And that, it's astonishing. It really is. And, uh, and he stayed true. To Manasseh's credit, he stayed true to the Lord. He got rid and reversed all the things that he had done and all the policies he had put in place, which is an act of true repentance. Fortified the cities in Judah, mm -hmm. fortified, 
soldiers, armament, walls. Yep. And he even when he rebuilt the fish gate and made it larger. There's reason for that one. Probably was once very, very small. Yeah. He made it bigger so the people could get in and out and necessary means of taking on the enemy or coming in for security. Right. So everything he did was very strategic and military-minded. Very, yep. very, very good, very good. Mm -hmm. He didn't tear down the rest of the walls. He built them up. And the, uh, the sign of a, a nation that returns to the war is actually... Um, that very thing. They have secure borders. Secure borders. They have a strong military. Because you have no nation without a military. Good commanders. Mm -hmm. And all the, the cities surrounding. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so they would be the first ones to be advanced upon by the enemy. Right. So they could all together keep the enemy back. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, it's it, it, it really is amazing what he did. Um, now in verses 19... We'll finish up. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother name, mother's name was something I cannot pronounce, the daughter of uh, Haraz of Joppa. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who conspired against King Ammon. And then the people of the land made Josiah. Now we're getting into a very interesting king. His son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. And Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Josiah was prophesied by uh, Isaiah 300 years before. Josiah wasn't very old when he started either. Mm -mm. Nope. Uh, so, all of the kingery <laughs> is playing out just like the Lord said it would in Deuteronomy. He said kings, the power will go to their head. Always. That's why we don't have a king in this country. That's why we have the three branches to protect us from the very things we're reading in here. And uh, it's always a rule absent from the Lord. That's, that's the thing. Kings, even those that say they serve God, that you have to be careful and vigilant because you may find yourself trying to rule apart from Him. And when you do that, whether you're a, a, a ministry leader or you have a call in the, the world system to politics or the marketplace or whatever it is, humility, humility, humility is so, so important. So well, we can't confuse can't wisdom with uh, God's wisdom. Mm -hmm. Well, even like in, uh, I, I mean, obviously it's probably been about 30 weeks ago, but one of the kings we studied, you know, I admired his, his strategy. He was very strategic. I'm like, oh, that's smart. That's real mm -hmm. smart. But the Lord didn't like it. Oh, oh, the Lord didn't like that. Oh, oh, why didn't he like that? You know, like, it. you know, if you're a strategic person, you may admire how people do things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that was God's will how they did it, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. Anything else? Anybody wants to? Well, if you add? even if you even study, go. I'm not saying stay in the Bible, Bible, Bible. Mm -hmm. Just jump into the world of history. Go into the British history, English history, mm -hmm. all the way back to the kings, blah blah. The monarchy 
That's 1160. We don't have a monarchy. No. 1060. For a reason. Mm -hmm. Like you said, for a reason. Because British history was some of the monarchs were bonkers. It was Athelrod. Was it Athelrod or Athelred? Might have been Athelred. He was the first king. And uh, his only duty and authority was to protect the English from, I believe, the Danes. I'd have to go back. And um, so it was for uh, protection, military protection. Other than that, oh, and foreign policy, to deal with foreign leaders. Because foreign leaders are not going to deal with peasants. So they, they, that was his only rule and authority. And then before you know it, Little by little. Well, there was kings, but he was first high king, which means all the little. They were all tribes. They were tribal. They all came together and made him the high king. Yep. And he caused problems, and then from that point on. But uh, yeah, so that's why we've got to be very careful. Our nation. That's why decrees or AKA executive orders are illegal, because we're not a monarchy. Yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting deal, which, by the way, I've been saying all of that, and we'll be doing instruction on it, as well as scheduling a viewing of 2,000 mules, which I think you guys will find very fascinating. Yep, I got it. I bought it. Don't, don't buy it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the word. We also thank you for history, which is actually your story. And... We thank you for the fact that you have interwoven yourself in every period of history uh, because of your kindness. Whether it's uh, our story, whether it's the story of a city, a nation, you care about nations. You, you love nations. You view nations as people. And you know the glory that's locked in those nations and the things that you would like for them to bring to society to make society better and to make society uh, a safer place with your rule. But unfortunately, Father, um, there are other people that are of the seed of the enemy that want to destroy all that is good, all that is pure in the world, and that are hostile towards you. And yet, only you know a heart that has gone too far. They don't even know. The ones that uh, have maybe trampled upon the blood or turned from you, that it'd be better for them to not know uh, you. Father, only you know where they have crossed that line and if they have crossed that line. So we leave that to you. What our concern is, is our own hearts to maintain the ground that has been captured, to not uh, get sleepy, to not get careless, to not pay attention. We want to be people that watch and pray so that we do not enter into temptation. We don't want to be people that are tossed to and fro with the later, latest teaching or the latest cultural shift. We believe your word. You say what you mean, and you mean what you say. You are faithful even when we're not. And so, Father, we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stay vigilant over our own soul. And at the same time, the mercy that you showed Manasseh is at, it's just absolutely dumbfounding. It's extraordinary. It's extravagant. There is no mercy that's been on display other than the work of Jesus, except what is told in that story, that everything he did, you erased when he turned to you. So, Father, help us have that mentality when it comes to others. People that we'd be like, sorry, 
made your bed, lie in it. Help us to recognize those we're to save from the fire and those we're not. Help us to recognize when we're supposed to partner with you and pray for your judgments or when we're supposed to partner with you and ask for your mercy. Help us to not be angry when we're not supposed to and be angry when we are. Help us discern those things, to not have our own perspective, but instead to have your perspective. Because we're like sheep. We don't know which way is up unless you tell us. And most important, Father, I ask that you continue to work in our hearts a love for the truth because that's what will protect us from the lie. We commit our care to you. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. We trust you. Help us to hear you even better as the end of the age approaches. We want to give our tithes and offerings to you this morning. We ask that you receive them where you are seated, Jesus. We don't give to you under any obligation, manipulation, or control. We give to you as kings to a king because we're loyal to you and your kingdom. We ask that you take this money, uh, prosper us in the meantime so we can give more, but also give us wisdom on how to use your funds. We thank you so much for today and everything that you will do this week. And may we heed the prophetic word to run specific things out of our town through the power of the decree. Because unlike America, where we're not a king, in the kingdom you are the king. And the decree, when we decree a thing, it's done. It's established. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. What is that word, decree a thing? And